0: It's time for the Mean Streets Podcast, presented by Full Moon Barbecue. For the only podcast with an inside look at Crimson Tide basketball all season long, turn to the Mean Streets. Britton Johnson and William Galloway take you from tip to buzzer with complete coverage of the Alabama Crimson Tide men's basketball team. Here's your host, William Galloway. Welcome in
1: to week two of the Mean Streets podcast presented by Full Moon Barbecue. I'm joined with Britton Johnson. Britton, an exciting first week of Alabama basketball. Welcome to week two. Excited to do another podcast. We're also thrilled to talk with Chris Stewart here shortly, but
2: Britton, how you doing? Absolutely. I'm doing well. Uh, You know, glad we're getting week two in. And uh, obviously, like you said, great week one of basketball, of, of football It's nice to get a dominant win again. And, really feel good about ourselves and, you know, see Auburn lose was also just an added plus. So uh, overall, great weekend. Can't complain. Yeah,
1: it was, it was a very exciting weekend, a very busy weekend as well. And somebody that had a busy weekend was Chris Stewart, who joins us now on the Full Moon Barbecue Hotline. Chris, welcome in. Thank you for joining the podcast, which you unintentionally named. Um, <laughs> how was your
0: weekend? It was good. I appreciate you having me on. I'm glad it's, uh, I'm glad it's on the air. It's going well. And I'm I'm flattered that somebody would actually, whether intentional or say take something that I said intentional or not and find that it actually has some productivity to it. So uh, I'm glad you guys are up and running, and I'm glad that it's called the Mean Streets. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, let's let's just go back to that moment real fast. So, Britton, we mentioned it on last week's week one, but I think it was maybe the Arkansas game. Yeah. Um, and let's just relive that moment real fast, because Chris Brian, who you work with, is from Mountain Brook, and you know that was kind of a jab at him as well.
0: Well, it, it was just a, a fun, fun thing with BP and call it the Mean Streets of Mountain Brook, and and uh, and and I got two with one shot there unintentionally. It was pretty good.
2: Cal, yeah, well, I was going to say uh, Roger Hoover was really giving you a hard time for uh, not including him in the Mean Streets, as he is now a Mean Streets
0: representative. So, yeah, he right. should have been part of it. Should have been included. So.
1: But it turned into a brand, and we'll have a pullover and hat or whatever for you as soon as possible. Uh working on that right now. Stay tuned at the end of this episode for more information on merchandise. But let's go ahead and jump into Crimson Tide basketball. Uh, Britton and Chris, Britton, I'll start with you. Uh, standouts from last week. A 93 to 64 win over Louisiana Tech on Tuesday. Uh put up a hundred. Uh, really 104 on South Dakota State Friday night. But what were some standout moments and some standout players to you, Britton and then Chris?
2: Yeah, I mean, the the real thing from week one is that our offense is much further along than it has been in previous years and at at this stage of the season. Um, Obviously, we have a ton of talent, especially the backcourt positions, to kind of carry carry that load. Um, But, you know, normally coming into the year, under Oz's offense, it just takes a while to kind of get settled in, get the turnovers down, get some of that stuff down. Um, I expected our defense to come in and kind of carry. And as we saw Friday, it might be flipped right now. Um, we let, I think the second half score of that game was 63 to 50, with the total score was 104 to 88. So very high scoring basketball, very up-tempo. Um, but on the bright side, our offense is looking outstanding so far. I think we had eight turnovers last game to 19 assists or something like that. Really of sharing the ball well, um, moving it well, shooting it well. Very happy for, for, you know, some of the guys that have kind of performed maybe above what the public would think that they would have the first couple of games. You know, Darius Miles stepped up and had a great first couple of games, double figures in both games. Has he missed a three yet? I don't know that he has. Um, I
0: think it's just one.
2: Uh, it might have been a heat check, but I think he's like 6 for seven <laughs> on the year from downtown, which is just outstanding. Uh, you know, I, I think Charles Beniako, we saw flashes of what we're going to see the rest of the year uh, in this past game. He's getting more and more comfortable the longer he's been out there. Um, knowing Charles, I mean, one of the most high character kids in this entire program, is an outstanding person, outstanding player, and he's going to become a fan favorite over the year. The big that I think Oates has dreamed of in the system, the big that Alabama fans have been dreaming for in their system, in this system, uh, that is what Charles would be for us this year. And I'm, I'm really a believer that over the year, uh, he's really going to stand out more and more. And man, I just love how the pieces of this team kind of fit together. You can't really see it until you're playing someone else. But I think uh, me being a player, but also just as a fan in general, um, there's a lot to be excited about about this team
0: no i i agree with you, and to me it kind of starts even though uh, you know i know j q and j d mean so much and and with the nature of j q s position and with shaq coming back from his senior i said j d but i meant shaq for for him to be coming back for another year and knowing what he means along with again by nature um Javon Quinterly at the point guard slot, you expect that. But the guy that I really think is going to make things go uh, and will have a massive year and and we're going to be talking about for a long time at the next level is going to be Keon Ellis. I just think he's, you know, you, you referenced Brian Passink earlier and he played with this incredible stretch run of NBA guys that we had in the 90s in Alabama. And among those was Latrell Sprewell. And that's a guy that he compares. I know it's before you guys time, but in in your history books and NBA, uh, NBA films, you were able to, to go back and see Spree, but he was so good defensively, but also a really underrated offensive guy. And to me, Keon is elevating what he does on offense. His percentage really good from three, um, incredibly athletic and capable as a scorer. But it's on the glass, it's on the defensive end, that he's going to, I think probably, and you correct me if I'm wrong on this, Britton, but I think he's a guy that's going to take the spot of Herb that when there's one guy that you have to lock down,
1: you're Keon Escher.
0: Keon, you're the guy. Go get him. And so that's that's who, I, unless it's a big, obviously. And that's where that's where Herb was so so versatile with his size. He could guard anything one through five. But – I think it's fair to say most one through four guys, Keon is probably capable of guarding those spots too. Chris, yeah, Keon, um, I, go ahead, Bryn.
2: Uh, I was just going to say, Keon's just been absolutely outstanding. And obviously, we kind of had an idea of what we were getting coming into the year. Um, dude's just a winner. Like, that. if you were to say one word about Keon Ellis, he is a winner. His plus minus first two games, I think it was plus 63. Meaning that, you know, when for those who don't know, when he is on the court, uh, we are beating the team we are playing against by 63, you know. And, and so he is just unbelievable the way he impacts the game. You know, some something that we've really been challenging him on, which is something that Herb did so well. Sometimes we would stick Herb on the worst offensive player on the opposing team. And the reason for that is so he could muck up everything else and impact outside of his own area. And that's something we're really challenging Keon on this year uh is we know he can guard his guy we know he can really make the life of the guy he's going up against really difficult all night but can he cover up for his teammates mistakes and is that something some that we've really been pushing him on challenging him on i think it's something that he's going to really excel at over the course of the year He's a dog. I mean, I think
1: that's just the one way to put it. The plus 63 is insane. And once I saw that stat, I mean, it was plus 37 alone in the first game. Um, he's just a dog. And and maybe hopefully we'll get the chance to talk to him at some point um, later this season on the podcast. But another guy too, Britton, you mentioned is uh, Charles Bediaco. And Chris, I don't know if y'all have had the chance to mention on air, uh, angry Chuck, but Britton oh, talk to me. Oh, okay. Then tell me about that. And then Britton, tell me about Angry Chuck and who he is um, on the court versus in the locker room.
0: Because you can go first on that. No, you you take it. You, you, oh, it'll be much better coming for you because I'm just I've quoted passing and and passing has gotten it from inside the inside the team there. So you go ahead and share it.
2: I'll start by saying I don't think Charles has quite taken to that moniker yet. Maybe he'll warm up to it over the course of the year. Uh, but it, it's really something that's, that's hilarious because you know before these this uh canadian invasion we've had the last couple of years i hadn't really had the pleasure of meeting too many canadians and i didn't necessarily believe the stereotype that they're all just too nice for their own good but man i mean over the course of the last few years we've had primo we've had keon ambrose and we've had uh charles and those are three of the nicest human beings i think i've ever met in my entire life like it's just yeah, you know, Primo I'd laugh about and say he's the least nice of the three and he's still one of the nicer, you know, more gentle spirited, m- more humble kids you'll ever meet. And it, it was just like, he was at least nice to the level that I could, you know, poke fun of him without feeling terrible about myself. Whereas, you know, Keon Ambrose and Charles are literally so nice that if I did anything to make fun of him, even a little bit, just in a, a friendly way, I would feel terrible about myself because like, these guys are too nice for their own good. Um, and they'd be incapable of poking fun at me back. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's just who Charles is. I mean, I remember one of the first days he was here. And, and you got to keep in mind, this dude was, I don't know if he was a final five or four star, but he was, you know, top 25 in the country, something like that. Came out of high school, a huge recruit for us. And so I'm kind of getting to know him. And one of the first conversations I had with him is, is him saying, you know, I just feel really bad that these managers have to rebound for me. And I'm like, dude, like, you got to get used to that because, like, that's just something that's, like, such the norm. And no one – I've never heard that before, especially from a highly talented highly player like him. Um, I just thought that was so funny, but that's just who he is. That's his character. Um, it's never about him. He's a, just the epitome of a team first guy. And, and so the angry Chuck thing has kind of evolved from – I mean, he's just a great player, but sometimes – you know, you got to play with that extra uh, bit of competitive fire. And it's not that he's not competitive. I'm not trying to take that away from him. But uh, just going into, like, man, sometimes you have to play a little pissed off, you know. And yeah. No
0: more I Mr. Lasky. Nice e- you got to go alter ego on occasion. Sure. And that's where he can kind of be free to do that, is on the floor and, and maybe be the guy that he's never been. I don't know he even wants to be. Probably doesn't because mm-hmm. he is such a good guy. But you can do that on the floor. And and I guess that's where the – that's where Angry Chuck Mm -hmm. uh, has come from.
1: We need to put a trademark on that and make some shirts or something. I'm surprised you
0: had done this. I know you He can do NIL.
1: I mean, let's make some hashtag Angry Chuck shirts. I made a meme uh, late Friday night about it.
0: (laughs) I I think you're the great entrepreneur in this group, so get it done.
2: Yeah, one of my – one of the sayings we have in the program is the one place you can be really selfish as a player – is as a rebounder you know you can be as selfish as you want rebounding the basketball no one will ever be mad at you for getting too many rebounds and so uh that's just an area where we need charles to sometimes get 10 15 rebounds in a game and um you know he'll do his job and I i think he has no issue with him getting five and keon ellis rebounding like he's been rebounding and getting 10 12 rebounds and Sometimes we need Charles to step up and get those rebounds, though, and so I think we'll see more of that throughout the year.
1: Chris, what have y'all brought up about Angry Chuck? Like, what has Brian mentioned? What have you mentioned? And then also, what do you see out of him? Because Alabama hasn't had a big like him in years. Physically, yes, Alabama's had bigs like him, but with his skill set, no way.
0: Yeah. Well, Brian's just said basically, you know what, what Britain has, where it, it's. He's the, he's so far removed from being an angry guy, but you kind of want him to be on the floor a little bit. And when he plays with the edge and a little anger, then you can you can drop that in and hope that he'll he'll make that transformation. And and we've seen flashes of it in the first couple of games. But you know, a a guy that runs the floor extremely well and catches the ball so well in traffic. I mean, there's. There's the stuff above the rim that, with his body type, you expect. Even though you respect it a lot, and he's very good at it, obviously. But what a lot of bigs can't do is catch a pass down at their knees or at their waist. And and uh, you know the way JQ especially is dropping dime in there. You got to be able to handle the ball. You got to be able to catch it. And I know that sounds real elementary, but unless you've been around the game and played the game, you understand that a lot of those big dudes aren't as skilled in that simple task. And he he catches it like a guard, which is a huge, huge benefit for him and doesn't look awkward and clumsy taking just the the one dribble to the basket. If, if you're a big and you can make one, two dribbles max, then you're normally ahead of the game. He's a guy that at least to me, Brent, and you've seen a lot more of him than I have, especially in practice, he looks like he can take it from the perimeter and put it on the deck just enough if he needs to, to make you respect it. Uh, That's not what he's going to be asked to do a lot, but he can, he can definitely hurt the opposition more than he hurts himself and the own, his own team with his ability to get to the rim. For sure. I think you hit the nail
2: on the head there, Um, especially with his hands. It's something that, you know, when I was thinking about like what separates Charles from any big we've had in this program in previous years, and that's not to take away from those guys. You know, we've had some great players, different types of players, you know, thinking about Brunner and Reese, those more stretch guys. Um, yeah. But with Charles, his feel around the rim and his hands, it's, it's different than anything I've, I've seen from a guy that size. Um, just tremendous feel around the rim. And then you nailed it with his hands. He catches everything. And not only does he catch it, everything, I think over the course of the year, you'll notice I've never seen more pass deflections from a big, and I've seen from Charles throughout practice. And I'm not talking about you know just the over the top where his hands are above his head. I'm talking about like bounce passes that he somehow gets to yeah. uh, below his knees. And it's just, I mean, he has that feel for the game, he, and he has that hand to eye um, that's just incredibly special. And yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be great. And obviously, he's a very skilled for his size, but a lot of times we're not going to see that as much in games.
0: He seems, Britain to be quick. And and I'm not talking about fast, but when you talk about getting deflections, you've got to be quick to do that, and that's so rare for a big man.
1: Instinctive, 100%. definitely. I'm, I'm not going to name names here, but there's a certain number four named Carl Engstrom who uh, maybe wasn't doing this 10 years ago. All right. So moving into this week, six thirty on Tuesday night versus South Alabama. Friday at seven versus Oakland. So the homestand continues to open the season. Britton, what is the team looking forward to improve inside um, the locker room? I mean. I, obviously you can't do a whole lot and take away a whole lot from non-conference games it's really just a learning curve uh, and then Chris what have you seen in these first two games it's been different with COVID having fans and a packed student section uh what type what type of environment are you looking for in these next two games
0: well I'll just oh. say Britton it's it's been great to see and, and I can only imagine for for you guys what what it's like to play with that type of energy level in the building during pregame warmups, it's more than you guys got. And I'm not criticizing in any way the people that were there and could be there because you had great support last year, but we were limited in the numbers that could be in attendance. And so you you were probably getting more energy and, and juice from the fans in pregame warmups than you got at any game all of last year. Oh
2: no! Totally, in the student section in particular, it's just been absolutely fantastic. Uh, Both games so far. I really hope that we can keep that up throughout the year. Um, So it's been tremendous to have fans back in the building in full force. Uh, In terms of in terms of what we'll be looking to improve, I think uh, Coach has made it very very obvious today in practice what we need to improve, and it was uh, defense and transition defense, and it was just the little details um, and. I'll be honest and say I think we had the hardest practice today that we've had in a few weeks, without a doubt. I mean, we had a very tough practice today, and we really needed it when we looked back on the film and saw, you know, credit to South, to, uh, South Dakota State, and, and that's why we play the schedule we do. But they exposed a lot of things with uh, our transition defense and uh, maybe the way we talk, maybe like the little things that we do. Uh, defensively that we really need to improve on. And, and I would definitely say we got better today. There's, there's no doubt about that.
0: Yeah, and that's that's cool to hear. But I'll tell you another thing too, and, and you guys are, are younger guys. I've done this, this, I think, my 19th year to do the play-by-play for Alabama basketball. And I would say that in the month of November – the team that you guys beat by double digits and scored 104 points against in South Dakota state on uh, on Friday, excuse me, that team in that level would have beaten 12 to 15 previous versions of Alabama basketball teams in years past in November. Now that's, that's not to say that they would have been able to beat those teams later in the year. But a veteran team that shoots it as well as they do, skilled and as tough as they are they've they've played together they know each other they're good and that sometimes takes time to be able to match that, especially when it's a, a name on the jersey that your guys at first are not going to have any pro you know have a a ton of respect for you guys, even the first year guys, you don't have to tell them who Gonzaga is. You don't have to tell them who Kansas is, you know, those are, or, or Baylor or Houston, uh, or any Mm. of these teams that by and large, you're going to face from power fives or just outside of it. But a South Dakota state, you got to be a basketball guy to really know who they are and coaches often have to get you motivated for that, and it's not easy to do. Well, that's a team that, I again, I contend in anywhere from 12 to 15 years of the seasons that I've done, Alabama probably loses that game in November, and you guys won by double digits. So I know you got a long way to go, but I think your starting point is so much further along than so many versions of the Crimson Tide that I've seen.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I just want to say
1: this. I was going to say Tuesday night, Britain, um, Alabama basketball fans typically don't come along until after football season in mid-January. And to see the the student section packed out 10 to 12, maybe 13,000 people there Tuesday night to start the season. I mean, the excitement was buzzing in Tuscaloosa and you had like Chris mentioned, you had to feel that, but mention your point.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say you a combination of I agree, especially being in the program now for four years and looking at, you know, the way, you know, we've played these mid-major teams in November. But I'd also say, especially coming off of the, the win we had on Tuesday, if, you know, maybe some of the previous teams I was on, won by 29 against a very good Lock Tech team, and then had a South Dakota State team on Friday, it, it, we just probably would have had a big letdown game. And, and I still don't think we played perfectly. Uh, But I think the energy was good. And again, a lot of credit goes to the fans on that. And that, you know, the fans didn't read the name on the jersey either and just say, well, I'm not going to show up. Then You know, we had great fan support on Friday as well. And so um, But I was just really proud of our guys to see the consistency and effort and energy. Uh, You know, it it sounds really obvious, but it takes a lot of uh, either experience or just, understanding of the game to know that we haven't arrived yet just because we can beat law tech on a really good night by 29 or whatever. that yeah. um, takes a lot of growth and experience and uh, mental toughness really. So I was
0: really proud of our guys to see that. Here's something that's extremely exciting for me to see is a guy who's close to it, but is not in the locker room all the time. You guys are winning 26 plus against La Tech the other night in the opener. And if I had turned on the television and just watched the last 15 seconds of that ballgame, and I see you hit the deck for a loose ball and find Tyler Barnes for a layup at the buzzer, and the team reaction to it, and the crowd reaction to it, I would have sworn that Alabama was down one when that play occurred because there was there was genuine enthusiasm and happiness for you guys and appreciation for what you guys did and the level at which you played and i noticed uh coach Oates was was telling the coach from LaTeX explaining hey please understand we're not we're not trying to show you up these are two really popular guys and and you could tell from their coach's reaction he got it he understood where it all was coming from it wasn't showboating it wasn't anything directed at them. It was just two guys competing and playing, but I'd love to hear you. You talk about this and why it was so important when you could have moved on to come back and play another year. The same thing for Tyler and why you think the relationship is where it is between you two guys and your teammates, that they would have that type of reaction in game one for you to have that that level of success.
1: Well, Chris, I'll say too. His his first round draft stock can only increase this year. So for me, that's it is the first round and the money. That's it. Yeah, that's that's exactly. it. But Britain, go
2: ahead. Yeah. So I guess the first funny funny bit on that, and I appreciate everything you said right there. Uh, is we told Tyler after, especially when watching the clip for like TV, in like ten years, you got to clip that, and then tell your kids, and don't show the scoreboard, and tell your kids this is the game winning shot. Uh, here's the video of it. And uh, they, I don't think they'd be able to tell that that was not the case. Um, so that was, I think, really funny. But, you know, I think a lot of it's just, like you said, we've built a lot of relational equity uh, with with this team. And, and we were, I mean, I'm not trying to pump myself up in this, or I will pump Tyler up in this. I think, you know, we were there when Oates came in. We were there and Avery left. And there was a big culture shift that needed to happen. And we are two of the guys, and, and I, I'll say this, I mean, really it's all the walk-ons. I'm not trying to, you know, make it just us. Adam's fantastic. He came in Oates' his first year as well. Um, but just all these guys have come together and have been a part of this culture shift. And, you know, I also think it speaks to the character of the guys that are playing big minutes. that um you know they've done their thing they've won the game for us um but they know what it means to me they know what it means to tyler to get on the court and to do something and so i think it speaks to how unified our locker room is um and just you know what a great group of guys we have you know I, i think about what's changed in the past three years obviously we got some really talented players that work really really hard and so that's that's something that definitely has helped in the last three years, but man, just the overall character of the locker room has just improved tremendously. I'm sure that's something that you've noticed as well. Um, I mean, you, they're just great people to be around. And I mean, William can probably attest to this. I probably came to him a couple of times my freshman year, um, uh, and was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it past one, two years of doing this just cause you know, I was getting really worn down by, uh, and this is not speaking against the coaching staff uh, previously, but you know, I just, it was a different situation. I had come from a winning environment in high school, and I just didn't really appreciate the culture or the direction in which the program was going at the time. Um, and again, that's not an anti Avery thing. That's, I don't think that is necessarily anti any one person. Uh, I think that's why it was such a mutual parting. But um, something wasn't working. The culture wasn't where it needed to be. and there couldn't have been a more perfect person to come in, a more perfect staff to come in and, and really shift that. Long than an answer I know, but it's
1: yeah, great we appreciate it uh hey this week's mailbag question as we wrap this up here mailbag question comes from zach pate talking about road environment so chris what is your favorite um it could be sec could be a different trip um but favorite place to call a game in britain what's the best environment to play in outside of coleman coliseum
0: britain's your show go ahead
2: um in terms of best environment i hate to give him credit but west georgia university has a fantastic uh, environment. Uh, they have a great arena, and you know we'll go out there 90 minutes before tip, and their entire student section is is packed. It is rowdy. And um, thinking back, you know, outside of my freshman year, ever, ever since oats has come in, the two trips we've had there, we were down 16-0 early on and came back, and I think broke the SEC record for threes at a time in a game. Ended up sending to overtime, loss. I mean, just but what a great environment that was. Um, and then we won last year, even though it was COVID, a little different, but just still a great environment. Um, outside of that, I, I love Tennessee's arena. I love I playing Rupp just because you know how historic that building is. And uh, for us to get that win there last year, again, I recognize that it was a little different with the COVID setup, but it still meant a lot. To I think everybody in that program to get that win. So, uh, those are
0: just a few for sure that stick out. I totally agree with you on all those that you mentioned. Um, when Arkansas is really good and it's a full building, it's special. Uh, it's awful, but it's special.
1: We don't, Uh, we don't like Eric Musselman on this podcast. uh, That's the last time I'm going to
0: mention his name and his program. This was long before Eric Musselman arrived that it was like that. So it was, uh, I'm going to bleep that part out. It was where you, uh, their, their fandom is a high, high level and has been for decades and they have something to be excited about again. Uh, so, um, you know, that is, that's a good one. And I'm, I'm looking forward to going back in there in normal circumstances and seeing what that's like again. I agree with you about all the, the places you mentioned. Um, you know, just from a basketball standpoint, the, I've never been in there where the environment was phenomenal, but the garden is special. Basketball at Madison Square Garden is special, whether it's a regular season game, as I've done, early season tournament win over Villanova or – um, uh, very first game I did for Alabama, we're preseason number three, excuse me, preseason number eight, taking on preseason number three, Oklahoma. I'm not even sure you guys were born then, William. You may have been.
1: Uh, hey, we're 98 and 99, just
0: for the record. Mm-hmm. All right, you're 2000, right. 2000. Yeah, well, this you were you were babies, but it was mm-hmm. uh, it's special to be in there when it's a big game and it's at the garden. That's a really really cool thing, so uh. There are a bunch of them, and I've been fortunate to see a lot. You know, it's a deal where I hope I'm not at Gonzaga because it will mean football is in the SEC championship game and I'll have obligations there. But, um, you know, you guys are going to really enjoy, even though it's, it's Seattle, it's not the kennel uh, there on campus. But I think that environment in, in Seattle will be great. Today, where it's going to be um, our environment for the Oklahoma game. And what I think our environment against uh, Baylor and Houston will be, will be really special too.
1: That lovely game when Herb Jones adopted Trey Young, that was a, a beautiful thing.
0: He just signed the papers that day, surely he did. <laughs>
1: Hey, that's going to do it here for week two, the Mean Streets podcast presented by Full Moon Barbecue. And remind everybody to follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Mean Streets Pod. Follow Chris as well, although I'm sure you already do. Follow Britton and you can follow myself. Just a reminder also, we want to engage the listener. Britton talked about that a lot in week one. It's all about you, the listener. Chris, we always appreciate talking to you, the influence that you have and the impact you have on not only Alabama basketball, but Alabama athletics want to thank you for the time. Um, And hopefully uh, if you, if you have time post games, Britton and I are trying to do these Twitter spaces, these live chats afterwards. And oh, all nice. listeners of the podcast, we want y'all to tune into that as well. So we will tweet out after games when we're going to do a Twitter live chat, a Twitter space. So check us out on there. And also some merchandise coming soon, working with Bandwagon and David Knight in Homewood to get some pullovers, some hats, some golf shirts, and some good merchandise coming soon with our with our great logo. Thanks to Michael Tortorici at DSC. Chris, want to thank you again. Uh, Britton want to thank you as well obviously this is your podcast um, but another great episode and thank you guys so much looking forward to a great week two of
0: college basketball enjoyed it thanks guys appreciate you having me good luck with it yes, sir. appreciate you Chris roll tide roll tide